investor doing things on your own? How about someone working with a firm that isn't so responsive or in sync with your investment philosophy? My podcast talks you through all things financial. Look, there's stuff you don't deal with very often, but investments, insurance, and retirement is something we plan for each and every day. This is the Pennywise Financial Podcast, and welcome to the show. Welcome to Pennywise Financial Podcast. This is Constantine here with Monarch Wealth Management and my co-host Jason Georgiev. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you. Good to see you. It's a late afternoon. So what is well, that? Early mean? afternoon. Time to punch out? Yeah, pretty much. Wrap things up. Day's over. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's only one twenty. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. That's okay. Well, I think yesterday's what did it start? The uh, the uh, first day of fall. Fall, yeah. Uh, Exciting. So Woo. Guess we've got to say goodbye to the shorts, right? Yeah. Well, we both wore shorts today and it's a little chilly outside. A little chilly, I'd say. Yeah. So what's new? What ha- what happened so far this week? Anything exciting? We had the Fed the Fed talk a little bit about inflation mm-hmm. and interest rates. Yep. Stocks went way down, then stocks went way up again. Oh, the market, not just stocks. Huh? Not just one stock, not, not just, just two stocks. A couple I mean, stocks. Not even just one index, right? Kind yeah. of all over the board. And it was all something going on in China. Something happened in China. Did you hear about that? <sighs> no. <laughs> you just stole my thunder because that was the uh, stock that I had listed today to talk about. Oh, okay. Evergrande. Oh, let's you know talk about, about it. it. I don't. Evergrande? No. Nope. Well, China's Evergrande. It's the second largest property developer. Mm, okay. And so what do they do here? They sell apartments mostly to the upper and middle income buyers. As far as I know, this is domiciled in the Cayman, Cayman Islands. Mm-hmm. And from what we're hearing is they're not able to satisfy. The, so the, the interest on this in their, in their loans, uh, they're on the verge of collapse. So it's oh. a pretty big deal. And, and lately, the Chinese <clears throat> stock market in general hasn't been performing that well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been following it, but essentially, if if you're invested in the Chinese market, you, you have a number of worries. So not only do you have to beat estimates and put up some good numbers as a company. So if your company is a publicly traded stock right on the exchange, but you've got to worry about political risk. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The People's Republic of China. Right. So the communist communist party can come in and uh, all of a sudden take apart your business force you to do certain things, do business a certain way. And it's usually to profit them, right? Yeah. So if they don't like something, they could change it to however they want. Absolutely. That's people a little might risky. Not, uh, people <laughs> might not love the way that our government is run and the things that we do. And it's far from perfect. We yeah. know that. But I'd say we're pr- uh, predominantly a capitalistic market where uh, you know people work hard. And they are rewarded for it. This is the land of opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. I'd still say this is the land of opportunity in the stock market too. So if you're investing, um, you know, in in the past decade or so, we hear this trend time after time after time. We meet with market analysts, uh, economists. We hear from them. This is the year. Year for yeah. what? Year for the market to, to do well. Oh, U.S. stocks? No, outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. Sell half, sell all of your U.S. stocks and go to the foreign markets. Mm-hmm. Well, that hasn't worked so well, right? 
Mm-mm. And that's the problem. You know, when you have a money manager that, that uses these predefined models. So what do I mean by that? Well, you meet with a financial advisor, they put you into a portfolio that's designed by a third company, a money manager, a party, a mutual fund company, whatever it might be, that's prepackaged. They have their own firm beliefs. And when I say firm beliefs, I mean, you know, they, uh, they look to their economists, they look to their researchers, their CFAs and CFPs and whatnot, whatever they have on staff. And they come up with this theory or this thesis on where the stock market will do well. And that's where they try to put money to work. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times those guys and gals are wrong, like big time wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. The last thing anyone here at the firm wants is, hey, Jay, hey, Dave, hey, Constantine, hey, Mark, hey, Diana, why are we investing 35, 40% of our money into foreign markets? <clears throat> and if, if you are investing with an advisor or a firm that does this, they're not going to have a response for you. Mm-hmm. Or their response is going to be simply reading off a piece of paper that somebody else produced. They didn't do the research themselves. So they're they're taking value in that company. And they're saying, geez, they know how to manage money. They know how to do it well. Let them do their thing. Okay, well, is there anything you can do to change that? No, we can't. Because they don't have a say. They're not managing money. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the difference. I mean, if if we certainly wanted to maximize our profits as a firm, as a company, as an individual, we could choose to do that. We call those asset gatherers or aggregators. You're basically bringing in as much money as you possibly can. You don't spend an ounce, a lick, a penny of time on research. You don't care about it. Mm-hmm. Why don't you care? Because you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You've put the client's money into a portfolio that's pre, pre-populated, that's, that's already defined. They know where the money is being managed. They're trading on it. And you have no say in that. Now, a lot of people will be okay with that, clearly. I mean, there are plenty of successful firms uh, that do that, right? They do that now. It's not us, though. If there's something we can do that makes us work a little harder put a little more elbow grease into the portfolio to, to do our research and due diligence, maybe to keep a client out of trouble or maybe to pounce on opportunity. We'll do it. Why not? Isn't that our job? Mm-hmm. Isn't that our duty? It's a lot more than just money. And I actually talked to Dave about this this morning. If I wanted to maximize profits, I would do just that. Mm-hmm. Collect as much money as possible. Don't care about the clients. Don't spend time planning. Don't analyze the portfolio. Don't trade. Let somebody else do that work for you, mm-hmm. right? And so they, you know, you can you can employ that philosophy at your firm, but it's just not going to be the best thing for the client. And then you end up defending somebody else's story, somebody else's thesis. And a lot of times, those are wrong, completely wrong. By not doing the research yourself, you're saying, and just By relying not, on other right, research, relying that other on somebody do. else, and and. They're not all bad. They're not yeah. all wrong. And of oh, course, yeah, they definitely. want to be right. They yeah. want to be right. Yeah. But a lot of times they may take bets outside of the norm. Yeah. Be more hoping aggressive. that they're right. Because if they are right, you know, you'll hear about that in the news. Mm-hmm. Whether it be Vanguard or American Funds or Fidelity. Yeah. Uh, Look Charles at what we Ron. did. Look at what we did. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you going to remember all the times they're wrong? No. Probably not. No. Because they don't advertise look at, it. Look at, the, look at the weather. We yeah. cannot, we cannot predict the weather. Yeah. 
Do you remember how many times a weatherman or, or, or girl got that wrong? I mean, it's Has more times than not. Continue to get right? that wrong. <laughs> but you don't harp on that. They still get paid, right? Yeah. They still get paid. So we, we like to go a step above and beyond, do our research, do our homework, take our time, and look for areas where we can capitalize for our clients. Yep. Making more money, digging deeper into planning, and then defending our own thesis. So when there's something that's underperforming, I'm answering to the client directly. Mm-hmm. So Jason, if you're my client and you say, geez, why do we have so much in, I don't know, Pfizer stock or Moderna stock or S&P 500 or one of the funds, there's a reason why. And I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Not because I listened to somebody else's research and said, okay, they must be right. And then when you have a follow-up to that and say, geez, Jay, for the last 10 years we've been meeting. You've been putting more and more money into international markets. It has not performed. Why do we keep doing this? Mm -hmm. If it hasn't worked in the past decade, why do we continue to do this? And if your answer is it's cheap, it's inexpensive, or the fact that somebody else has done the research on this and it should be right, I I feel bad for those clients. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't succumb to that. You you don't have to, there's better ways of, of doing things. And I think that we do a very good job of it. Of course, we're not always going to outperform. We're not going to be every single month beating the market, beating other fund managers. Of course not. But you better believe we're going to work hard to get you there or work towards your goals. With that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with the show. Do you want help building and managing an investment portfolio that's right for you? One that will help you maximize growth potential while you're saving, help you generate income when you need it most, and eventually preserve what you've saved to leave to your beneficiaries? We do this day in and day out and take the stress and responsibility of making those decisions off your plate. Subscribe to our newsletter, read our blog post, and listen to our podcast to get a flavor of how we do things. Our firm is unique and capable of handling all your investment and insurance needs. Monarch Wealth Management, our guidance, your future. Welcome back to Pennywise Financial Podcast. This is Constantine here, Monarch Wealth Management, and my co-host, Jay Georgiev. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Hello. So, very exciting news about this ever grande (laughs) company in China. I don't think many people have even heard of it. Have you? I know. I never heard of it. This is the first time. So, it's a real estate, right? You said? Yeah, there's a a lot of exposure. So, Go ahead. Apart- apartments, apartments, I, like, mid to high houses. End. So they've got assets. They actually have hard assets. A little bit different than other companies where you're working mainly on revenues. Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. So the difference is, let's say you own a manufacturing company that generates a million bucks in revenue. Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden your debt load is so much you can't cover the interest. What are you going to do? You could either have a fire sale and sell the company go bankrupt, mm-hmm. um, look to increase profit margins, do do other things. But you're not really going to be able to liquidate many assets, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you, you if you're a machine shop, <clears throat> you've got some equipment you can unload. That's probably going to affect your performance and yeah. revenue and all that. But with real estate, the difference is, so you've got either tenants or, or buyers or investors, whatnot, flipping properties, renting mm-hmm. out properties, selling properties. Um, in the event that you can't cover your expenses... What could you do? Get more tenants. <laughs> well, unless we that would wanna, be ideal. I don't know how many people but. would be excited about running an apartment where there's another family already living there. I'll tell you what, I would not be one of those people. We'll split it in half. We'll build the wall. 
I mean, maybe you're running an Airbnb, running out bedrooms. I I don't know. Well, they do that in Brockport, right? It's a bedroom thing. That's all. That's right? the whole village of Brockport. They run out bedrooms. I guess. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not good. sure. I'm not sure why, but they do it like that. And college kids. That's why they college, don't care. Yeah, I don't know. I, when I was in college, I cared, but mm. I must have been one of the prissy ones. But a lot of those kids, like they're four or five kids that rent a house together, you know, and they'll each have a bedroom and they know each other, like a family. Kind of, but they're friends. Pseudo family. Yeah. Anywho, um, my point was, if you're in that situation and you have real assets, you have real estate, if you own thousands of properties, couldn't you sell a couple of them? Where's real estate now versus where it was a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Yeah. Probably higher, right? It is higher. Substantially yeah. higher. So they do have wiggle room. And I think that's why we need to maybe temper our fears about that, even though it's a very massive company in China. I think I'd be more concerned about what the uh, nation is doing and, and what China is doing essentially to these companies, holding them to higher scrutiny, right? So if you're invested in the Chinese market, if you're, if you're a financial advisor, if your portfolio has a good amount of exposure to China, I would question that. And if your advisor doesn't have an answer, probably they're an aggregator where they're just putting money into these portfolios investments. They don't have a say in where the money's actually being held. Mm -hmm. And if they do, I would question why they're still holding money there. I would say for the unforeseeable future, could be one, two, five years from now, it's going to be a pretty volatile, dangerous place to put your money. Yeah. Right? Well, that's what I was just going to say. It's too volatile to actually use. And they have they have certain sectors of the market where they import things like steel and whatnot. And the China U.S. Uh, relationship, I think, if we look back four years ago, the administration people would have thought, "Geez, don't invest in China. Don't invest in anything tied to China because of everything that Trump is putting into place." Yeah. Right. The tariffs and things like that. Yeah. Trying to promote American. So the new administration comes into play. What happens? Just the opposite. Everything you might China think, okay, is great again. Laissez-faire. Let's let's go ahead and let China walk all over us. Let them do whatever they want. Let them steal proprietary information. Uh, Apple makes their phones there. Let China and these Chinese manufacturers steal all the intellectual technology. Build a competitive phone and just let us let them rip us off and do nothing about it. Which is what they've done for the last what I don't know fifty years. Yeah. So something happens and uh, you know we we see the opposite of effect and that kind of happened with the. Administration. If I if I go back to um, the Trump administration before he was put into power, a lot of people were asked like, "Is he going to win?" The general consensus was, "No, he's not going to win." Yep. When he did win, the market crashed overnight, mm -hmm. and everyone thought, "Geez, the next four years is going to be a complete mess." This guy has zero experience. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's a business guy, and that's all he is. Which, in a lot of respects, they were correct, but just the opposite happened with the market. So. Trying to time the market, trying to guess based, um, you know, on how the market's going to react to certain scenarios doesn't always play out. It certainly doesn't play out the way that you might think. Yeah. Because the the market is not always rational. Yeah. Think of what happened last year, middle of a pandemic, craziness, chaos. People were staying home. They were scared. They lived yeah. in their basement. They did whatever. And now, you know, I I have to I have to think that there's some growing concerns. Mm -hmm. We're coming out of a pretty high unemployment period of time, right? They cut back on a lot of these uh, programs they had, the enhanced programs, right? Uh, yeah. But what's it I mean, doing to, to the job too. force? 
Now think of what's happening right now. I don't know. Unemployment's not high right now to me, in my opinion. And I think that those a lot of those numbers are skewed. Yeah. How many businesses have closed since COVID? I don't know. Businesses that might have been employing people. I don't know. I drive if they around. Were still around, in these... and they couldn't fill those positions. Yeah. That would be more unemployment, correct? See, yeah, but do you see a lot of businesses that are shut down, like a driving lot, around, like a lot. empty? Where I was in Buffalo, storefronts, and Buffalo, stuff? Batavia. I noticed it a lot more. Drive around, I don't see it here. Drive around. Well, where are you looking? You looking like in the cities? Are you looking? Are you looking towns? At like if I drive parts? to in you know Brighton here, okay? and the majority of what I'm seeing is restaurants, restaurant, a lot but of even restaurants. Here, what Dunkin tons Donuts of restaurants? Here. And think about this: there is. You know, and I'm not picking on uh, restaurants and whatnot, but if I go down the street, our, our one of our favorite places to go was Charbroil. Where you live? Oh, here. Charbroil, right here. Here, yeah. Right here. What have they done? Are they still open? They are open, aren't they? They're open. They've cut hours. Yeah. So they close at two. They've shut down days. So yeah. guess what? Now, when they used to have additional uh, help that they needed, those positions, mm-hmm. they're th- those people are not working, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the positions that they would have had filled are no longer there. The restaurants and, and businesses that have closed, they don't have open positions. Mm-hmm. What it's done is it's also driven up the labor cost, right? So you go get a job at McDonald's. What, what are they paying now? 15, 15, 16, 17 bucks maybe to flip burgers? I heard there's some exorbitant prices out there for where you, depending on where you live. I think in Victor, I want to say I saw 16 bucks an hour. There you go. Starting. And I heard some McDonald's were offering hiring bonus. Or, you know, uh, $500 for showing up for an interview. Something that kind of stuff. Like that, but yeah. but I'm curious. I guess what I'm saying is when I say the market reacts, it, it doesn't always react in a rational way. Mm-hmm. There's some, some looming concerns I think that we all have. And that's when are we ever coming out of this pandemic not wearing masks and, um, you know, I, the mandate that just came out what, yesterday morning about the war memorial. Mm-hmm. Our biggest theater. So, so the, the staff, the workers have to be vaccinated. I know there's some people that are not, so they'll have to lose their job. Mm-hmm. And all of the patrons have to have the vaccine, and I believe wear a mask as well. Yeah. Same like the Bill Stadium. Yeah. So, so I think there's going to be some changes that that happen, and a lot of people are returning to the office because their company says, okay, now it's time to get back to work, and yeah. those people are uncomfortable even if they are vaccinated. Yeah. N- not everyone, of course. But I think it's going to have an impact on actual production of these companies, how successful they are. Yeah. Right? And, and if they, they continue to drive up the cost of labor, what does that do to you and me, the consumer? We're going to be paying more, right? You think these companies are going to say, okay, we'll just kind of lay down and say, well, we've got to pay our uh, employees more money. We have to spend more money to sanitize and keep things you know, in, in a cleanly order. Um, when I think of the amount of people they have to have at these stadiums and whatnot, when people are coming in at in big volumes and they have to show their vaccine card or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. don't you think it'll take longer? Maybe they'll need more staff to accommodate that, mm-hmm. that big influx of people. You Which think people are suddenly going to show up on time? You think people are going to go to the games earlier because they know that they're... No, it's going to be a bottleneck. This is like promoting fear to me. Just Which trying is- to scare the, the whole vaccine and everything. The statistics, the statistics we were talking about earlier, how many, like, what was it, children we were saying a oh, year like or nothing. whatever, you know? It's like nothing. Yeah, and then compared to how many people were killed in Chicago in last year, it was like triple the number. And now we're worried about vaccinating, you know, for the variant when 
more people get murdered in Chicago in a year. I know. Why aren't we worried about that? I know. I get it. Like, wear your mask and this and that, but this has gotten out of control. This is going back into another shutdown. This is stupid. So I'm wondering now that the government continues to to print money in various different ways to help businesses, right? Wouldn't you think that that some of these companies would slow down their growth, their profits, their profitability would go down? I know I'm paying more for certain things, yeah. but I wonder if that's making up the difference that they have to pay in higher wages and also the equipment and things like what are the PPP or PPE uh, equipment the, that they need for their employees yeah. to do their job and safely. Maybe, and maybe to make up for some of the losses they had. But in any event, the numbers are coming back quite strong. Yeah. And let, let's look at, take a look at those numbers. So where are we year to date right now? Let's look at some of the indexes. And we're going to go to Wall Street Journal, wallstreetjournal.com to get this info. So let's look at what's the S&P at year to date. Let's see, daily, so S&P is up today, what, a percent and a half? You've got the NASDAQ that's up another one and a quarter. You've got the Russell that's up one and a half or so, just on the day, just on the day. Dow Jones, one and three quarters. If I look at the five-day change on the Dow Jones, Dow is up over, well, what, 30 basis points? S&P is actually down quarter percent. And the NASDAQ is down uh, almost three quarters of a percent. But when I look at the year-to-date change, Dow Jones still up, up 13.8. S&P up 18 and change. And the NASDAQ still up 17. So remember what happened in NASDAQ. So high-flying tech stocks, huge valuations started to falter in that February. They came back in that May-June. Mm-hmm. And so these numbers look solid. I'm pretty sure just about every client you ask, anyone you ask on the street, if you're making 13 14 15% in one year, oh, yeah. they're giddy, mm-hmm. right? But that has become somewhat normal. Right to make that Just in a kind year, of money. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have some people. I mentioned this in other shows that trade cryptocurrencies that make three hundred percent in one month. Yeah. So to make fifteen in the year, they say, "Geez, that's not so great." Yeah. Let's cry me a river over 15% a year. I'll be just fine with that for the rest of my life, 15%. On that note, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back on the show. Do you have a high deductible insurance plan? If so, have you set up your HSA? There's a ton of people who don't know what it is or how it works. Even worse, there aren't many people who can give you advice about how to make the most of these powerful and unique programs. Not many advisors focus on this in their practice, don't understand the mechanics of how they work or even where to begin helping their clients. Reach out to me, Constantine at Monarch Wealth Management, and I'll guide you through this process and get you on track to make the most of your high deductible plan and your superhuman HSA. Welcome back to Pennywise Financial Podcast. Constantine here, Monarch Wealth Management, and my co-host, Jay Georgiev. We're back. We are back. And how did we get, how did we navigate? We we get on these topics, so we, t- we talk about the Chinese, <laughs> the, the market, the, the impact, the inflation, uh, COVID, and blah, blah, blah. Yep. Anyway, rationality in the market, it sometimes is quite challenging. I guess that keeps us employed and keeps us behind the mic and digging our nose into numbers and trying to understand and make sense of the market where you just can't make sense anymore. <laughs> I guess, right? Yes. Let's shift gears and talk about a topic that 
hasn't really come up at least in the last five plus years, but I recently had a, an existing client ask questions about this, getting an inheritance and talking about mm. the safety of their money in the bank. Okay. Interesting, right? And yes. Okay. So what kind of insurance am I talking about? Any idea? FDIC. FDIC, FDIC insurance. So any of the products that we talk about are not going to have an FDIC guarantee. There's there's some things we can do where it ties in, but the majority, 99.9% of what we do is not FDIC insured, right? Right. That's usually if it's in a bank, right? Correct. In an account, like a savings, checking, whatever. Exactly. And bank only to deposits. a certain amount. So let's talk about that coverage for just a minute and what that means. And uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that this question came up because I haven't really seen or heard much about it since maybe 2008, 2009-ish. Mm-hmm. Kind of trickled into 2010. And this is the, the belief, the fear, I guess, that the bank where you have your money held might become insolvent, might mm-hmm. go bankrupt. Yeah. So where's the safest place for you to have your money? Don't say under your mattress, please. Don't say that. I have some clients that in may say that. In the cookie jar. In the cookie jar. That would not be safe. My kids would find it. My wife would find it. Hell, I would find it. Yeah. I, don't, like, I like sweets lately. Safest would be invested. No. no okay, fine. No. Never mind. How about a bank? How yeah, about a bank? bank? Like we were talking about, FDIC insured, to be insured, fully insured. You got it. Okay. And so that so that's... Now, there's nothing exciting about that, right? I mean, you hold but, money in a checking. What about even a high yield savings? Yeah, but it's You're, still. Still what? Nothing. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly my point. They're plain vanilla. They're boring. They're meant to be boring. Yeah. That should be a parking lot. It yeah. should be a safe haven. That yeah. should be where you're keeping your emergency money. Yeah. It should not be invested. It should not be in the stock market with me. Yeah. And I've had clients that come to me and say, you know, this is a short-term thing. I have a couple of months. I'd really like to make 10 or 20 or 30 or 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where are we putting this money? And I'd say, no, you're not putting it with me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hate to turn away assets, of course, um, but we got to do the right thing. And that would not be prudent. It would not make sense. The risk reward for that is uh, not high enough. I mean, where are we going? Am I going to do buy a treasury? Am I going to buy a bond and hold it for a few months and pray and hope that it makes five plus percent? I don't think so. So you put money into a bank account and that's really where it should be. So tax money, things that you know you have to kind of give up before the end of the year, things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want that money invested. I don't. I don't. You know, you should be paying your, your normal expenses. You should have your emergency fund. Mm-hmm. And of course, have your tax money. Stuff for your health insurance, which health insurance, we talked about that today, is crazy. That's another uh, cost of living that only continues to go up and up. Those are great companies to own and be a part of, but not if you're on the other end paying those premiums. But anyway, let's get back to FDIC because this is the question that came (laughs) to me. And uh, so when we talk about FDIC coverage, you know how much coverage you have in a bank? 300,000? So how about 250,000? That was close. Right? And, and, and that's that's the general rule of thumb. Yeah. Yeah, 250,000, you put it in one bank. So what if you do if you have five or 600,000? Two accounts. Two accounts. You think you have more coverage? <laughs> no, probably no. not. <laughs> no, it's based on the dollar amount. 
but it's per institution. So you could run around to all the banks and go to Chase and CMB. Oh, every institution is different. Correct. Okay, gotcha. Because the FDIC is going to insure your money at that institution. Gotcha. Is there anything else you could do? Yes, there is. The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Some clients don't know about this, or maybe they did at one point, but kind of forget about it. There's a way to title the accounts so that you can increase your coverage. Yeah. Could you double that coverage from 250 to 500? What do you think? Probably, but for a fee. You could. You could. And believe it or not, it may not even cost any money. Okay. But you can get creative. You come to us, we can help you craft a plan on how to structure it. So if you're married, if you have family members, uh, you can change the titling from individual, uh, transfer on death, joint oh, accounts, okay. living trust. You could have it in trust for one of your kids, things like that. Yeah. Okay. So you can increase the coverage and expand mm -hmm. if you don't want to run around to all these banks. Of course, you could do that. Yeah. What a pain in the rear. And yeah, now you got to go to all these banks. Everything's and electronic now, anyway. But like seriously, w at this point, since we've evolved and grown and come out of 2008, mm -hmm. do you think that companies have learned their lesson? A lot of them have, and, mm -hmm. and not necessarily by choice, but by mandate. Yeah. So, after you know the verge of the financial collapse, if you will, in 2008, 2009, 2010, legislation requires additional funds to be held in reserves for banks yeah. to make sure that they have, I mean, do you think that if you have millions of dollars at your local branch here, let's say Webster, mm -hmm. right? Say it's in Webster. Yeah. You go to your, your branch and you ask for your money. You think they have it just waiting there. Yeah. Sitting in a, a cold vault waiting, waiting for Jason to come by and pick it up. So they, they are required to hold more money in a central location is what you're saying somewhere in the they have, city. They, well, they have to whatever. have more more liquid reserves. Exactly. And I don't mean I don't mean holding that money in the bank. That would be great for uh, bank robbers, I guess, knowing that there's more and more assets. Well, like in a central bank. In a sense, they can't take that money and leverage it five, ten, fifteen, twenty times. Yeah. And so, typically, what banks do to make money is they they take these deposits. So mm -hmm. you come in with a hundred thousand. I take your hundred thousand. Your chances are you're probably not going to come in and ask for that hundred thousand in the next week or two. You yeah. could, you have yeah. the right to, but we do this. Uh, banks do this many, many times, hundreds, thousands of times uh, a day, a week, a month, and they'll loan that out. Mm -hmm. You need a car loan. You need a credit card. You yeah. you need a mortgage. You need a home equity. You need a lot of credit. Whatever it might be, business owners need some temporary cash flow, things like that. So they'll, yeah. they'll take your money, your 100,000. Mm -hmm. What a great way to, just and think the, about this investment for just a minute. You give me 100,000, I pay you 0.01%. That's what I was just gonna say. Right? And what do you think I'm lending that money out at? 12%, 15, 12, 15. 19 on credit cards. So you got bad credit, we're gonna whack you with 20%. Yeah. Even if you pay that off in one year. Yep. So even if they paid consumers bank deposits, let's say 2%, mm -hmm. which they don't, they're nowhere yep. near that. If they did. And in 1982, they were. They lend it out <laughs> at 15, they pay you out two, and there's some costs yep. for employees and whatnot, and they're still netting 10 plus percent. And guess what? They didn't have to work to get that money. That was your money. Yeah. So these financial institutions. So I guess my point is, the liquidity requirements have gone up for banks. The uh, propensity for them to become insolvent or have bank issues, financial issues, where your money would be in jeopardy is very small mm -hmm. right now. We had a lot of banks falter over those years from 2008 up until this point. Yeah. And there, there used to be charts and updates on how many banks have actually closed. 
Yeah. Now, wasn't that a big issue with the real estate, too, with the loans? That's exactly why. Yeah. Because what they would do is they would lend uh, this money to basically anybody that could show a photo ID. Yeah. They didn't verify anything. Yeah. No banking, in, no financial information. Nothing. Yeah. Especially in Florida. Yeah. And these were leveraged loans, and they would do interest only. So people would just pay the, the interest on it or a minimum payment, mm-hmm. and their balance could actually be growing. Yeah. You know, interest only loans, no doc. Uh, the interest rates were high, but people just intended to kind of fix them up and sell them, make a profit. Yeah. Buy it for 100000 put 20000 in, sell it for 300 Even if you paid 30% interest, you're still out of the game. Yeah. But uh, that that obviously caused some problems. Yeah. Because they'd be levered, and what they do is they bundle all these junk loans up, and they'd sell them to someone else. Yeah. And then they lever that. They lever that. And, and it's like a house of cards, right? Mm-hmm. They all start coming down. And that's where we had problems. Yeah. And if companies back then, banks didn't have enough capital, they had major problems, had a fire sale, FDIC had to come in and help mm-hmm. if and when they could, but they even have limits on how much they can protect. Mm-hmm. So the FDIC question I thought was kind of unique and and um, kind of nice to, to look at and revisit because people haven't really talked about FDIC coverage in a long, long time. Yeah, I haven't heard it in a while. As a matter of fact, I'm hearing just the opposite. The majority, 99.9% of the questions I got before I got this FDIC question was, how much more can I make? It wasn't how safe is my money. It's yeah. how much more can I make? Yeah. I'm averaging 15% you know, a year for the last decade. Can I make more? Can I make 20? Mm-hmm. What kind of risk do I have to take to get that? Those are the kinds of questions I'm getting. Yeah. Now the general sentiment, uh, right now I know on Monday, and what's today, Thursday, Monday and Tuesday, kind of uh, a, a little bit of a shift in momentum um, and fear. And then Jay Powell comes out, mm-hmm. right? Yesterday, talks about the economy. We hear a little bit about China and what they're doing. We hear a little bit more about Evergrande and the exposure that the US market has to some of those stocks and whatnot in the China market. And it tempers our fears. We get a little bit more comfortable. And we're back on this path of, okay, we're up 18, we're up 15. Mm-hmm. Let's try to get to 20, 25. And I still remind clients that, look, don't get used to this. This is not going to continue. It's it's going to be very challenging to duplicate or replicate those returns. Yeah. The next 10 years. Have you ever in the history of doing this seen something like this? Well, I don't know that that I've seen a market this bullish in such a... um, I don't know if I call it short period of time, but really essentially from 2009 up until this point, we've had a few years where, where the market has pulled back. Mm-hmm. I think of one year that comes to mind is like 2015. Mm-hmm. 2015. So if, if you have a year where you're not making 10%, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, what's going on? You know, people start to question, geez, I've only made 2% this year. Mm-hmm. What's wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't actually. And it happens. Yeah, I wasn't actually talking about going so far back. Just in the last year with COVID, the way the mark dipped during mm-hmm. COVID and how high it is now from that dip. Have you ever seen anything like this? That's a great. You mean how quick it's how responded? Quick it's responded. No. And I think there's a lot to attribute to that. And, and, and to the extent. No. And that's a good point. No, I haven't. I have not. I honestly didn't believe that the market would recover as quickly as it did last year. Yeah, I mean, that's me the quickest turnaround. That's Some clients, when you get quarterly statements, they opened their March statement, yeah. and they said, uh, by the time the next statement came out, 
<laughs> not only had they made up the losses, but they were ahead of the game. Yeah. So they didn't even know if they weren't watching. They didn't know until I, you know, made them aware. So they may have been, unfortunately or fortunately for us, I don't know, may have been bragging to their friends and family how great their accounts were doing in the <laughs> middle of a pandemic when things were shut down, people were scared. Yeah. And they opened their statements on a quarterly basis and said, geez, I am making money. Yeah. In, the, in the heart of all these problems, exactly. I'm making money. And I would hope that that trend continues over a long period of time, and it does. I hope you know, so. With hard work, uh, with cooperation of the markets, and the Fed. It's really been an accommodative Fed. Yeah. Right, keeping interest rates this low, so stock market really has been the only game in town. If you are an old school uh, person that is used to save money in CDs or savings, yeah, you got crushed. Yeah, you got crushed. And I, I remember having conversations with people that got terrified of two thousand eight, two thousand nine comes, they sold all their stocks, mm -hmm. they lost fifty percent, they went to cash, they bought CDs. Rates are going up. Rates are mm -hmm. going. I know rates are going up. They haven't gone up yet. I know I'm going to renew for six months. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know that any of those folks have uh, ever got back into the market. I, I hope for their sake they have. Um, none of them are my clients. Our clients are always great. They listen to our advice and guidance. And uh, we try to keep them even keeled. Yeah. And that's, I think, part of our job is being like this motivational coach to making people understand and feel better about the decisions that we're making with our assets. At the end of mm -hmm. the day, it's their money, yeah. right? We're going mm -hmm. to employ something that makes sense for them, but we're going to devise a plan. I think that's quite useful. Reducing the debts, trying to limit uh, the amount of income that we demand from our investments, and coming up with a retirement plan, a strategy. Now, I'm not talking about a 250 page document that says, Jason, you're going to spend X on groceries. You're going to spend. No, we can come up with as many plans as we want. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing to point out. Um, I did get a question. We mentioned uh, this last week about some of the things that we do. One of those things is budgeting, planning in retirement. How much money do we need to take? Coming up with a sustainable amount of income that we can you know, create a portfolio that will justify the demand that we need on those accounts. Mm -hmm. Well, with that, I think we're running out of time. I think it's time to wrap this, <laughs> this segment of the show up. I appreciate everybody listening. Thanks again. Constantine here, Monarch Wealth Management, Pennywise Financial Podcast, and my co-host, Jay Georgiev. Thank you, Constantine. You, a little too much excitement in that voice. With Woo. that, let's, let, let's end on a high note. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone. You've been listening to Pennywise Financial, brought to you by Monarch Wealth Management. Constantine and David really care about their clients. They want to make sure you're happy, so you'll continue to hire them. There's no commitments, and clients are free to leave whenever they want. Think about being able to pick up the phone and call someone for guidance and advice on almost anything, from buying a car, selling a home, buying vacation properties, or even selling a business. Reach out on the website at monarchwealthmanagement.com. There are two offices in Rochester and two offices in Buffalo. Reach out to us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Or call us toll-free at 800-480-1580. That's 800-480-1580. Until next time, this is Pennywise Financial, signing off. The opinions voiced.
voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, and SIPC.